America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things falling apart um, and and some other stuff from time to time. I'm Robert Evans, um, and today we are going to chat once again with Romeo Kokriatsky. Um, Romeo, you are a Ukrainian journalist uh, and an anarchist. We chatted with you right before the Russian expanded invasion of Ukraine. Um, and now we're we're talking with you again now that the war has entered um, certainly a different phase as, as Russian troops pull out of the north of the country, pull out from around Kiev and focus their remaining unblowed up forces uh, to the fight around uh, the Donbass. Um, how are you doing, Romeo? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's been it's been tough. Uh, we'll get into this a little later on, but obviously, learning that um, a town not far from your home has undergone a genocide is not the easiest thing to live through. Yeah, uh, and knowing that that is not even the worst of the atrocities that we're going to discover in the coming weeks and months is is puts a puts a mental strain on. Yeah, let me tell you. Yeah, I don't think I think, thankfully, very few people understand the experience of of learning that a genocide has occurred next door, essentially. Um, yep. And yeah, what you wanted to talk about specifically, obviously, when, when we talk about the act of genocide, we're talking about the massacre in Bucha, um, an exact Bucha. death count. Bucha, sorry. An exact death count is is not available right now, but I think at least 280 uh, civilians killed is the last number I've gotten. 
Yeah, um, that's again. the last like confirmed number. Yeah. But obviously, a lot of these people um, have been tossed into mass graves. They're lying around in various residences. It's it's gonna it's gonna be a long time before um, yeah we're able to to come to any kind of accurate count of how many uh, residents were were killed. Yeah, and, and for a brief overview of just kind of like what has been seen in the executions there, we have civilians, often hands tied behind their backs, uh, so they were clearly restrained, uh, executed after having been restrained. Some of them were just left in the street, some of them dumped into mass graves. Uh, satellite imagery from before the town was liberated by Ukrainian forces shows corpses lying in the street in the same position they were discovered in. Uh, when the Ukrainian military moved in, which is as solid open source confirmation of of the genocide as you're going to get with any kind of genocide. Um, so that's that's the situation. Uh, obviously, the usual crew of bad actors and um, Russia defenders have kind of slid into the most common allegation I'm seeing, at least online, is people saying it must have been Azov Battalion that did it, even though they're 440 miles away. Um, encircled by the Russian army. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's the it's the you, you're seeing like a lot of kind of bad open source responses to it with people being like, well, why would the bodies if you look at the satellite imagery, why are the bodies so evenly spaced? Which is just like they're not. It's 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 just like people people recognizing that if you like circle shit on a grainy image and and tweet about how it's suspicious you'll provide enough plausible deniability for other people to to doubt a genocide you know it's 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 the same shit we saw with Syria there was some disgusting denial where someone was claiming that they could see bodies being carted away um by the Ukrainians for you know investigation and reburial um that the corpses were quote unquote moving uh, you can see you can see this guy's hand move. Yeah, you're looking at dead bodies, buddy. No one's yeah. fucking moving there. And by the way, when you move dead bodies, they move <laughs> like pieces of the. What move. a shock! It's it's what a shock that that when you're driving over a street yeah. that has been churned over by tank treads. Yeah, and you're you're transporting human corpses. Those corpses are going to get jostled around. Yeah, it's uh um. Definitely, I don't know. You know, we, we, I I don't want to be labor on this too much because I think we've talked a lot about how this this disinfo works. I think what you came on specifically to talk about, and what's really worth getting into in some detail, is um this manifesto that was published on RIA, which is a a, a Russian government controlled uh uh news agency. Um, it's this, I don't know how it's a fascist manifesto. Yeah, it's I'm going to be manifesto. clear and honest. You, you can find it if you, if you just Google, uh, RIA publishes Russian fascist manifesto. The new voice of Ukraine has a, a translation of it up. Um, if you want to read this thing, uh, but it's, it's pretty, pretty striking. Um, and, um, the, the kind of focus of this is on, justifying the denazification campaign um and it opens one of the opening lines is when the theory the people are good the government is bad no longer holds true admitting this fact is the basis of the denazification party all of its associated measures and the fact itself is the subject matter of the policy and the fact that this came out within a day or two of the discovering of the elements of genocide in in bucha um is mm -hmm. yeah is pretty predominant i i'd say like pretty 
noteworthy. Yeah. Uh, so I had to translate this and let me tell you, it took um, a pretty big, pretty big toll on my sanity for a couple of days here. Um, and I'm going to be honest as a Ukrainian reading this, this was, if you have ever, I don't know if uh, some of your listeners Robert, may have like been at protests, um, counter protests against um, fascist or, or far right demonstrators where they're chanting that they will murder you. This is exactly how I felt. This is, yeah. this was nothing less than someone reaching through the screen and telling me that they want to kill me and everyone I love personally um, because I am uh, because I want their independence. So there's this, the, the, kind of theme of this art, art, uh, article the term that they use most often is denazification and i yeah. think it really um it is incredibly vital to explain just what this denazification means because normally like you and i robert i think we'd both call ourselves anti-fascists mm-hmm. and we are pretty anti-nazi um that uh, i i think that's a that's a pretty mainstream position to to not like Nazis and be anti-Nazi. So the Russians use this term denazification to someone that has no context, no idea of what it refers to beyond the obvious meaning, get rid of Nazis. Sounds like something even laudable. The problem is what the Russians mean by Nazis is not what you and I or any other normal, sane, rational human being would consider a Nazi. This article does not justify uh, its, its thesis that Ukrainians are Nazis at all. In fact, um, there are there is a whole series of paragraphs um, that states that Ukraine does not meet like any criteria of being Nazi Um, to to quote a bit from this um, as horrible as it is. um, It reads, there isn't, after all, a single important Nazi party, no fewer, no fully racist laws, only their curl tailed variants in the form of repressions against the Russian language. As a result, there is no opposition and resistance to the regime. A particular feature of Nazified Ukraine is its amorphousness, imminent and ambivalentness, which allows for the masking of Nazism as a desire to move towards a quote unquote independent and quote unquote European uh, Western and pro-American path of development in reality towards degradation while insisting that quote unquote Ukraine doesn't have any Nazism, only private and singular excesses. So the article itself admits <laughs> that Ukraine is not Nazi in any way that we would recognize the term. Yeah. And it, it's basically saying that, like, it's Nazi. It's not there's no Fuhrer and there's no race like racialist laws. Um, but the thing that makes it a Nazi is one in closer union with Europe as opposed to Russia. Um, and of course, it, it, it notes like the so-called laws against the Russian language, which I'm not aware of anything happening. I think what they're referring to is like uh, attempts to encourage the Ukrainian language in Ukraine. Um, Yeah, there are no laws or sanctions or repressions of the Russian language in Ukraine. There never have been. And in fact, when I was there, one of the difficulties I had with my interpreter is he 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 only spoke Ukrainian. And so you can obviously you can speak with people who speak Russian if you speak Ukrainian, but it's a little bit like confusing. And most people we were talking to spoke Russian natively. Like it's the I the idea that it's somehow like been that the Russian language has been somehow like attacked in Ukraine. Um, 
feels very silly as someone who like repeatedly encountered the Russian language while in Ukraine. Yeah, it's 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 simply propaganda. Um and the fact is that the Russians define Ukrainian Nazism not as having Nazi values or a Nazi party or anything that we would associate with with Nazism, but in fact, simply the simply that Ukraine wants to be independent of Russia. That in itself is proof positive to the Russians of our Nazism and nothing else. So at, when, when people hear this word denazification, what they don't mean getting rid of like far right elements in Ukraine. No, they mean being anti-Russian or being or simply wanting to be separate from Russia is itself a far right position in Russia's eyes. And that is enough to call for our um, pretty much complete <laughs> extermination. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of go into this article a little more, one of the things that I find interesting about it is this line here. Uh, the fact that the Ukrainian electorate chose Poroshenko's piece, Poroshenko is the president before Zelensky, and Zelensky's piece should not be misled. Um, I think they probably meant misread, maybe. Ukrainians are quite satisfied with the shortest path to peace through Blitzkrieg, which the last two Ukrainian presidents transparently hinted at when they were elected. I, I How... I don't understand how anything Ukraine has done could be considered a blitzkrieg um, since they never invaded I, Russian territory and, in fact, lost territory to Russia in 2014. Um, that's a weird definition of a blitzkrieg. I'm wondering if you can shed some light on what they might even mean on that, or is it just uh, just complete fallacy? What they mean is basically that Ukraine in so within Russian propaganda, you have to understand, we're talking about a completely separate universe, a, yeah. a, a different reality. So right. the way every every single aspect of what you and I know does does not apply, like th they don't live in our consensus whatsoever. So what they mean is that Ukraine blitzkrieged the elimination of Russian speakers and um, pro-Russian culture and pro-Russian sentiments in Ukraine during the Euromaidan. Um, in Russia's in, in Russia's reality, Ukraine carried out a genocide against these people in Ukraine in everywhere except the puppet authorities of the Luhansk and Donetsk uh, People's Republics. So basically, Ukraine carried out this blitzkrieg. The reason Ukraine is so, quote unquote, Nazified is because in the this Russian alternative reality, uh, Ukraine genocided all of the Russians, all the ethnic Russians, the Russian right. speakers, anyone with pro-Russian sentiments. And this is what they mean when they refer to this uh, this blitzkrieg. That they that well, um, Ukraine went through. They quickly killed everyone who was pro-us, and now uh, and now everyone out, everyone who is left is a Nazi. Um, like the the latter part of the, this paragraph really makes that clear. They say it was this method of, quote unquote, appeasement of internal anti-fascists through total terror that was used in Odessa, Kharkiv, Dnipropetrovsk, Mariupol and other Russian cities. So not only are, are these Ukrainian cities Russian, this, quote unquote, appeasement that they're referring to is a sarcastic way of referring to their um, supposed genocide of these people, of, of Russian speakers, of um, ethnic Russians in Ukraine. Again, that is not only untrue, it's also ludicrous because 
everyone in Ukraine is has some Russian ancestry because it's a mixed country. Everyone yeah. is everything. Like yeah, the entire it's... Eastern European region is not some ethnic enclave. It is, in fact, a melting pot, um, which the Soviet Union worked very hard to change. Yeah. One of the things I kept encountering in Evdivka, which was is still under fire today and was under fire in 2014 for an idea of like how long chunks of the country have been. And like now it's spread all over Ukraine, but parts of Ukraine have been under continuous artillery fire for nearly a decade. Um, but I kept encountering these old ladies who had grown up in the Soviet Union and were saying like, um, I don't understand why they're doing this. They they like I've always considered myself Russian and and now this is happening. Like I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Bean Dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In, in terms of like the denialism that we've been seeing lately, um, one of the reasons I, I argued for because we had a debate in the um, in the editor's room at NV when we were um, when we were looking at this piece, we had a debate over whether we were going to translate and um, publish it. And I pushed really hard um, to do so because I think there is no greater way to push back these. Um, claims of genocide denial that we we are seeing popping up um, across various uh, parts of um, of the Western left and the anti-imperialist left or wh- whatever you call it. Um, and I think there's no better way to push back against these arguments than to present the Russians' own words to them. Yeah, like this is such an openly genocidal fascist piece um, using pure the pure logic of of quite like of just fascism that is impossible i think to really um say that this is like a fabrication or the like the russians aren't like this well they're telling you in their own words this is what they're like yeah and i think the like putting focus on this isn't this wasn't written by you know some um, like far right extremist for some minor like online site that has like a audience of 2000 like Russian fascists or whatever. No, this was a major article published in one of the Russian uh, main media outlets by a respected political scientist within Russia. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that I think really needs to be gotten across is the degree to which I think there's a desire to believe that the Putin regime is like on its last legs and that most people recognize how fucked up uh, the, 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 the political status quo is there and that support for the regime is like pretty minimal as a result. Um, And I, I'm not, I'm not seeing the evidence of that. And when I talked to, I just, we just did an interview with the Russian anarchist who his attitude was very much that like, yeah, most people broadly buy the propaganda. Um, it is not like the, the, 
it's possible that's going to change over time because, again, the, the, the severe casualties Russia has taken have not really had a chance to totally filter out socially into Russia. I think people are still becoming aware of the scale of losses, and it's going to take some time for that knowledge to, to really circulate. Um, but I think this article represents how a very large chunk of the Russian populace are are seeing what's going on in Ukraine. Um, and that's problematic for a number of reasons. For one thing, with this kind of logic that we see in this article, there's not much you can't justify, right? Like there's very little that uh, – if you if people believe what's being said in this article, there's very little you couldn't do. There's very few weapons you couldn't deploy. Right. That's one of the arguments this is making is that you have to exactly soldiers who have been Nazified um, have to be wiped out completely. Um, there's there's no and it's not soldiers that who have been Nazified. Anyone who has ever taken arms against yeah. Russia and anyone who has ever supported anyone who has yeah. taken arms against Russia, which at the current moment is over 90%, 95% of the Ukrainian population must, and I quote from this, must be liquidated. Yeah. Not, not, um, the, 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 it makes an argument a little higher up that these people can't be reeducated. So they can't even be sent to camps, to gulags. Um, they can't be made to do forced labor. They must be liquidated, eliminated. Uh, and this is nothing less than simply saying, well, we are going to have to kill the grand majority of Ukrainians. Yeah. And I, I don't. I don't know uh, what more like you can. For the folks who are kind of on the. Because uh, there, there's there's this tendency, I think, within the chunks of the left that are not they haven't lost their minds they're not they don't buy the russian propaganda they do see what's happening in ukraine is terrible they see the war is terrible but they they still have this attitude of well the best thing is to end it quickly and like you know we should we should push for some sort of negotiation i'm first off i'm saying like whatever the ukraine as a country decides is acceptable to them in terms of peace i'm not going to argue against one way or the other cuz that's not my place but um i don't i don't see how you can negotiate with people who have this attitude towards you um and and towards the existence of your people like i really don't see long term where there's kind of an option for peace for Ukraine with this kind of rhetoric existing in Russia outside of smashing the Russian military to the greatest extent possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way, and that is a very terrifying thought. It's not because... great. Like, yeah, because <laughs> my at general not... attitude towards wars is that it's best when they're over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I have no... I have no strong desire to see to like bomb Russian cities. Well, I mean, okay, that's that, that's a little bit of a lie, but uh, no, <laughs> no one, speaking, no one can blame someone living in Ukraine right now for feeling a bit of a desire for for vengeance. Even though I don't think that's particularly likely to help matters. Yeah, probably not. And I, I generally don't want to um, see like a world war in Europe or anything like that. But I, I really, when I rack my brains of what can be done, like how 
you can live with like the these people aren't you know thousands of kilometers away or on the other side of the continent they're literally the neighboring state um and i i just i i don't have any answers of how ukraine is supposed to move forward while russia remains in its current configuration like i i don't see a future um a, a coexistence of any kind that's possible when they are literally calling for our extermination bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I I think that's also kind of the question of how do we have there, there's this this phrase that you heard a lot, particularly kind of in the in the post World War II period of like the need for a rules based international order, and uh, the United States was as much a part as anyone of making sure that that was never anything more than a than a friendly lie, right? You had a couple of brief yep. moments here and there where it was attempted to be imposed. Um, Yugoslavia, uh, or well, you know, uh, uh, Bosnia being kind of a, a clear example, but it was always, you know, in between a bunch of illegal wars on behalf of a bunch of different states and illegal fundings of, of insurgent groups and all sorts of sketchy stuff and kind of culminated. I, and I, I, and I think you can, we keep going back to Syria, which is an important part of like what allowed what's happening in Ukraine to happen. But the, the invasion of Iraq by the United States was another one, right? This idea that like, and and the things that like torture and stuff by U.S. forces. This this the fact. I is mean, that's that, what the Russian diplomats. Yeah, that's what Russian diplomats always bring up in um in the U.N. and in other like international bodies. Whenever they're pressed on this question of human rights, they always invariably point at the U.S. and say, "Well, the U.S. did this, this, and this in Iraq. Um, how come the U.S. gets yeah. to do whatever it wants with no pushback?" And with the implication being that Russia also believes it should be able to do whatever it wants with no pushback. And obviously, like it, the fact that the United States committed war crimes does not mean that Russia should get to commit war crimes. But from like a, a point of view of like if we're looking at things from an international perspective, yeah, if the United States is going to do shit like that. Well, other countries are going to do shit like that and see it as like, well, there there isn't like why? Why are we bound by an international order, but not you? And I, I one of the things that's so frightening about the kind of rhetoric coming out of Russia is that it it shows those kind of dreams that people had in the wake of World War Two, which, again, there was no like golden age after World War Two. The United States went right to regime change in Africa and Latin America, all sorts of fucked up shit. But it shows that like any kind of international hope of something like that ever existing has uh, has fallen apart. We are we are if, if if people want something like that. And I do believe that some sort of rules based international order. And, and I'm not talking about like you in global government. I'm talking about broad ranging international agreements that, for example, you don't get to fire chemical weapons at civilians, you know, like um, I think that would be nice, a nice thing to exist. And I, I think 
part of what we're seeing here is that any chance of having that has kind of been reset to zero. Um, not that it was ever a reality, but it, 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 I think the kind of I think the rhetoric around the fact that that ever existed has completely dissolved now. Um, and I, maybe that's not like particularly bad because it's bad for people to believe something exists when it doesn't because that that international order never did really exist. But um, I I think what we're seeing here is kind of the final collapse of any belief that uh, there's an inner there are international standards of morality and behavior for states. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why um, Ukraine's President Zelensky gets a lot of props from from a lot of people right now. But one of the things that has absolutely that I personally rate as absolutely as the kids say based <laughs> in recent days was Zelensky's address um, in front of the UN where he called them basically cowards if they don't kick Russia out and they can't even enforce their main um, their main goal, which is peace. Um, then they should dissolve and. Honestly, yeah. I don't see any any issues with that argument. That seemed, yeah, completely rational. What What is the point of this organization if it cannot even do something as simple or not simple, but if it cannot do something as straightforward as punish the perpetrators of genocide? Yeah. What, that, what exactly is the point of it? That's exactly kind of where I am, which is like, why are we like right now we have this issue where like, after Russian evidence of Russian genocide was uncovered, Russia set to the the UN the human rights uh, what you call it um, that they are a, a human rights council yeah human rights council that they're a permanent member of and like it, like basically filed a complaint against Ukraine for doing the genocide that they did um, and uh, you know there's talk about we, we we could dissolve and reform the council without Russia. We could kick it like there's there's options I guess in a parliamentary sense, but broadly speaking, when one of the people sitting on that council has is in the process of carrying out a genocide, which they are justifying in this way through their through their media organs, what is the fucking point of having that? It's just like it was like the night of the invasion. I, I sat and I watched everything happening in the UN. Um, and my my thought the whole time as like every, all of these international representatives were like, you can't do this, right? You have to stop. You have to stop like trying, like begging for there to be some sort of peace and Russia just going ahead and doing it. It was like, you know, what we, what we saw, um, it, it not dissimilar to some of the shit that happened in the lead up to the Iraq war, where it was like, okay, well, a lot of people agree this is fucked up. I guess that doesn't mean anything. Um, and it didn't mean anything. Uh, and, uh, that's why have it like, why, why pretend that it means anything? Um, I guess that's where I am. I mean, it's, it's the same um, to draw a parallel to, to U.S. politics, it's it's the same as um, like the, the the Democratic Party during the Trump era saying, oh, Pre Mr. President, you can't do all of these obviously legal things you're doing. That's bad. You should stop. Yes. Like <laughs> here's here are investigations that prove that you're doing the bad things. Please stop, Mr. President, with all you due violated respect. the emoluments clause. OK. <laughs> <laughs> like okay are you gonna enforce are fuck? you gonna enforce any of this like yeah. without enforcement all of this con condemnation is literally just 
noise. It doesn't react. It doesn't result in anything in the material world that will have an effect in curtailing or restricting this behavior now or in the future. And if you cannot do that, then what I like to call it, what you have is a job program for yuppies. Yeah. Yes. Yes. International rules based order. I, when I was in Iraq during the war against ISIS and hanging out primarily with not just Kurds, but like Kurds who were natives of Mosul, um, when we were kind of back in Erbil away from the front, the number one organization, the number one group that they complained about was not the United States, nor was it ISIS. It was the United Nations who were generally viewed to be a bunch of like they they saw them the way like people see like trust fund kids. They were a bunch of rich assholes tooling around in Land Rovers, staying in nice hotels and burning money on fucking bullshit. Um, and and that's. I don't know. It's so the idea of the United Nations as what it was supposed to be, which is like, yeah, we should things like what the Nazis did shouldn't be allowed to get nearly as far as they did. And perhaps if all of the nations were sitting together and saying, well, that's bad, right? We don't want people doing that. Um, Maybe some of these bad things would stop happening. Um, And what it has turned into is, yeah, it's a jobs program for fucking yuppies. It's it's. Not that there aren't individual things within the UN. I've certainly been to a lot of places, particularly refugee camps that had infrastructure because of UNHCR, even though that's a very flawed organization. Um, I can't deny that a lot of people got access to some basic survival gear that was necessary because of UNHCR. Um, United Nations Humanitarian Crisis Relief. Um, but overall, it's just... It's nothing. You know, there, there was a, there's a really I think my favorite piece of graffiti ever, um, which was spotted in um, Sarajevo during the Serbian encirclement and and shelling of that city. Um, and it's a, a, a spray painting of UN in the style of the UN's logo. And then underneath it, United Nothing. Um, and, and that was the attitude of a lot of people in the city as they like watched the UN bicker over what was to be done about the fact that an army had surrounded a city full of civilians and was pounding high-rise apartment buildings with artillery and tank cannons all day long. Um, Man, that sure sounds real familiar. <laughs> it's a good thing Robert, that never happened I, again. I, I, I don't know I what you're say, talking that, about. That sounds... <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's... it's Anyway, um, Romeo, is there anything else you wanted to get through today as we... Stare at this thing, this bad thing. Honestly, I just, as much as normally I would encourage people to not pollute their brains with, with fascist agitprop, um, yeah, in this case, I would recommend people read through um, my translation at uh, The New Voice. If you don't trust me for whatever reason, you can pull up the original and Google translate it, machine translate it yourself. It'll be a serviceable translation and just read it for yourself Um, because I want to make it very clear that Russia is no longer simply like some hyper-capitalist kleptocratic oligarch state. It is literally fascist. It, It is using fascist rhetoric and fascist techniques to eliminate an ethnic group it considers to be inferior to its own um, in order to take its land and resources for itself. It is, there is no greater distillation of 
fascism on this planet right now than the Russian Federation. Yeah, they are, um, they are doing. And them I really cleansing. would like people to understand, especially if you consider yourself anti-imperialist or anti-fascist or anything. The Russian Federation is a fascist government um, on the level of Nazi Germany, and it is attempting to uh, to literally this article is called is called what shall we do with the ukrainians yeah um the ukrainian <laughs> so that, question it's it's, it's they're right asking there. the ukrainian question you know um and this article is proposing a solution to the ukrainian question so again um mostly that's what i would like to leave uh, your listeners robert with <laughs> an understanding um, and again, you don't have to trust me. You can go and read this for yourself. Um, that the the greatest fascist threat on this planet right now is not the United States of America, as shocking as that may sound. Um, and as hard as that may be to buy, uh, it is the Russian Federation. And it is right now trying to uh, genocide the country and the people that I belong to. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, maybe. Make a note of that, folks. <laughs> Put that in your in your mental Rolodex. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I I uh, I hope you continue to stay safe. I'm glad your area of Ukraine is at least less under under the gun than it was earlier in this war. Um, I'm glad, broadly speaking, that uh, the Russian Federation has bitten off a hell of a lot more than they were able to chew. Um, and now are doing their chewing without nearly as many teeth. Um, and yeah, I hope that process continues and I hope, uh, the siege of Mariupol is lifted. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate, um, letting, letting me make an appearance and, <laughs> um, going through this with me and, uh, yeah, I think we yeah. share the same hopes here. Yeah. All right, everybody. That's the episode. Go, go away. could happen here is a production of cool zone media for more podcasts from cool zone media visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts you can find sources for it could happen here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com sources thanks for listening bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.